My name is Tim, and it's my privilege to bring God's word to you uh, this morning. Uh, join me in prayer as we ask for God's help and blessing on the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and worship you, for you're the true and living God who has revealed yourself to us through your Son, by your word, through your Spirit. We thank you that in your word we learn about your glorious plan of salvation, that you save sinners out of your grace. You have not only shown us the way to salvation, but how we should live as we walk as Christians. And so we pray that you'll pour down your Holy Spirit as we hear your word, that you'll give us that understanding that only comes from you. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ, that we may follow him all the days of our life. We pray in his name. Amen. I wonder if you've seen those videos of athletes celebrating too early. Usually it's in a sport like athletics or cycling, and it's a race from the start to finish. And what happens in these videos is that the person is coming first. Right? There's an athlete who is winning by a lot. There's no way that they can lose. But what happens? They start waving their hands up, celebrating, high-fiving the spectators. And well, eventually, everyone except for that person can, can see what is about to happen, right? almost in slow motion. The athletes behind him... In second place, they, they keep running. They don't give up. And the person in first place eventually looks back. And they realize what's happening. But it's, it's too late. It's too late. And from an un, a seemingly unlosable position, they lose. They fail spectacularly. And in the most extreme cases, they even fall down. And the whole field ends up overtaking them. They come last, or worse still, they don't finish. And church, as Christians, this is a real danger for us too. There is a danger of complacency, of presumption, of stopping before the finish line. And this morning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 4, verse 1, we'll see that Paul is warning us not to celebrate too early. He's saying, in our Christian race... Don't stop before the finish line, but instead, keep going. Keep pressing on to the end. In our Christian race to heaven, don't stop before the finish line, but instead, keep pressing on to the end. And we'll see this under three headings. Uh, you might uh, have the sermon outline with you, which will be helpful. Firstly, uh, we'll see this under pursuing the prize. Secondly, pause pattern. Thirdly, promised Perfection. Pursuing the prize, pause pattern, promised perfection. And in each heading, uh, we're going to answer three questions. So it might be helpful to follow along there. So come with me to the first heading, pursuing the prize. Uh, and this is in verses 12 to 14. In verses 12 to 14, Paul uses the metaphor of a race. We can think of marathon, perhaps, to describe his Christian walk with God. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then in verse 14, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let us pause here. Big question is, what is this prize? What is this goal that Paul is talking about? I think they're essentially the same thing. From the context, from the verses before and after, we know that they're referring to the reward of perfection in Christ and also the eternal joy of fellowship with him in heaven forever. They're referring to the reward of perfection in Christ and also the eternal joy of fellowship with him in heaven forever. This is what Paul is running for. This is what he's pressing on for, literally pursuing. And he knows that he hasn't obtained these things yet. So there's no way that he can stop before the finish line. That would be foolish. That would be presumptuous. That would be unthinkable for Paul. Now, if you're not a Christian, can I ask you, what is the prize that you're running for in this life? What is the goal that you're currently pursuing in your life? If you are a Christian, are these your goals? Are Paul's goals your goals? Is this the prize that you are pursuing? Perfection in Christ and being with him forever in heaven. Now come with me to verse 13. How do we get this prize? Sounds pretty good. He pause words. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to, take, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul here tells us his race strategy. What is his plan to obtain this prize? There's one thing that Paul does, and it consists of two actions. We can see this clearly in this text. Firstly, he needs to forget what is behind. And secondly, he needs to strain toward what is ahead. What are these things that he needs to forget that are behind him? This includes his impressive resume that Jason uh, took us through last week in uh, verses 5 to 6. He had many achievements in his life before his conversion. And it also includes his past sins. We we know that he persecuted Christians vigorously. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He persecuted the church. He persecuted Christ himself. Our past can often haunt us, can't it? We we wish we we hadn't done those things that we have done, but we can't change them now. They're part of our past. But if we are Christians, if we have begun this race, then we need to forget those things. We need to forget those sins that are now behind us, that have been forgiven, because God has forgotten them. God has forgiven them. That's what he says in his word. He promises his people that he will forgive their wickedness and he will remember their sins no more. But the things behind don't only refer to past sins. I think they also refer to Christian achievements, things that Paul had accomplished when he was a Christian. Because we as Christians, we can never rest on our past achievements, our past service. Paul accomplished a lot in his life. He probably accomplished more in one month than any of us will accomplish in our whole lifetime. We could think, we could surmise that after writing the letter to the Galatians, he could have stopped. He could have said, you know, I've done my magnum opus. I've defended the gospel of Christ. After planting his first church, he could have said, 
I've converted so many people. It's now time for retirement. But that's not what we see in Paul's life, is it? He doesn't stop after he achieves a lot, we can say, for the kingdom of God. But he continually labored for the advance of the gospel. He continually encouraged his fellow Christians. He continually wrote letters to support them, to defend the gospel, all the way up to his death. And we know as he was writing this letter, he was in prison. You see, a Christian never really retires. We never retire from being a Christian. Things may look different as we get older, but we never stop being Christians. And so friends, don't stop before the finish line. Now, Paul not only needs to forget things that are behind him, he needs to strain forward to the things that are ahead. If we're not looking forward, if we're not moving towards a goal, we'll inevitably be going backwards. And so Paul was not only looking at things immediately ahead of him, we know in this passage from previously, that he was looking forward to things far ahead of him. He was looking forward to his being made perfect in Christ, to being with him in heaven forever. And that colored everything he did. That was how he was straining forward. He was not only looking at the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, but he had an internal perspective, an eternal goal that was his ultimate focus. His focus was on Christ, his greatest treasure. What is something behind you that you need to forget? Something that is hindering you from fully pursuing the prize, from running this race as fast and hard as you can. And how does having your eyes on the prize change what you are pursuing in this life and how you are pursuing it? Now we come to the third question in this first heading. How can we be sure? How can we be sure that we will get the prize? How can you be sure that you will reach the finish line? It's easy to miss in these verses, but look at the end of verse 12. The basis and motivation for Paul pursuing the prize was his knowledge that Christ had taken hold of him already. Yes, we, you, we personally believe in Christ. We live for Christ. We serve Christ. We love Christ. But ultimately, it is Christ who loved you first, even before you were born. It is Christ who holds you all of the way. No one can snatch you out of his hand. And that's how we can be sure that we will reach the finish line. We are not running alone. We are not running out of our own efforts. We are not doing it in our own strength and power. But we have Christ himself holding onto us, guaranteeing us that we will make it to the end. And he has given us all that we need. We have his spirit and we have his church. But also look at the end of verse 14. This prize is what God has called Paul to as he strives towards heaven. We don't earn this prize. It's all of God's grace. It's what God the Father has promised to all of his people. But running this race is the path that God has assigned for us to receive this prize. There's a difference there. In God's wisdom, this is what prepares us best for heaven and stirs up our desire for it. This is the path of sanctification that leads to glorification. And so as Christians, we don't run as one who fears that we will not finish, 
but we run in confidence because God has organized our race. He knows all the twists and turns along the way, and He'll provide everything that we need. He has prepared the prize for us, which is far beyond anything that we deserve. And all He has asked us to do is to trust Him, to follow Him along this path to glory. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, the prize of Christ, the hope of heaven, can be yours today. Do you know something about the vanity, the meaningless of straining towards whatever goals you might have, whether that be money, pleasure, recognition, love? Do you know something of your sin against God today? Do you know this God who made you, who made the heavens and earth? He has sent his son Jesus Christ to die. And Jesus Christ is freely offered to you today. We can take him to be our savior by faith. And we have all of these promises. The promises that Christ has accomplished through his redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Reconciliation with God and hope of heaven, of dwelling with the triune God forever. And so we've seen how Paul calls us to pursue this prize. And in verse 15 to 19, Paul calls us to follow his pattern. We come to our second heading, Paul's pattern. Look at verse 15. Paul writes, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. What is the sign of Christian maturity that Paul points us to here? For Paul, what he's just taught about pursuing the prize is something that all mature Christians should know, to not stop before the finish line. That's the sign of Christian maturity. A new Christian may not know that yet, and that's perfectly fine. And so Paul tells us in verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. A mature Christian knows where he is at spiritually. He knows the progress he's made. He knows how God has helped him all the way to where he is now. But he also knows the direction he needs to go from here. And so as Christians, we need to assess where we are. If you've been a Christian for many years, you're expected to know, you're expected to do more than a new Christian. You're expected to use your gifts in service for the church. You're expected to know more of what God expects of you and what pleases Him. You're expected to know more of how you should run this race to the end. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 to 14 says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And we know this from experience. We know this from real life. It can be cute when a baby is crying, making noises, even sleeping during church. But if you're an adult doing that, then there's something really wrong. A mature Christian continues pushing himself, pushing himself to know Christ more and more, to live as Christ did more and more. We never rest on our accomplishments. We never rest on our laurels. That is Christian 
maturity. For those of you who have been following Jesus for some time now, have you been complacent in your Christian living recently? Are you less involved in church than you were before, five years before, ten years before, for no real reason? Have you been slack in your Bible reading and prayer because you did a lot when you were younger? Or are you more active now? Are you finding more and more delight in the Lord? Can you say you love Christ and his people more than you did five years ago, ten years ago? Now, Paul continues by calling us to follow his example and pattern. Who should you follow? Look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul led by example. He was not ashamed to call others to follow him as he followed Christ. And if we are mature Christians, we should do the same. This shouldn't be too surprising. That's how secular life works. That's how the workforce works. That's how families work. We follow and learn from those who are more experienced, who have done it before. And that's how the church works too. Paul says to keep your eyes on those who live as we do, those who are godly, who are faithful, who are faithfully serving the church, those who are pursuing the prize all the way to the finish line, even as they get older. Those are those who we should follow. In athletics, there's something called a pacemaker, someone who sets the pace for others to follow. It keeps the runners on track for the pace they should be going at. And if you've ever run, it's much easier to follow someone else who's going in the right direction, who's going at the right speed, than for you to do it all alone by yourself. And there's many such men and women here at Grace Point, aren't there? Have you noticed them? Have you got to know these pacemakers? Do you follow in their godly examples as you've seen them serve, serve the church, serve others, love others in their love for God in Christ? And so church, follow the godly examples around you. It's rise and right to follow those who are further along than us, to learn from them, to follow their patterns, to hear their stories, to learn their good habits, good insights, good lessons. But another way we can follow and be inspired by godly examples, I think, is by reading good Christian biographies. I love reading Christian biographies. They warm my heart every time because you see godly men and women throughout all of church history who have pursued the prize. You see their love for God and for others and how they did not stop before the finish line. And so there's good examples to follow, but there's also bad examples we should not follow. Who or what should we not follow? Look at verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is warning the Philippian church with tears. He's like the parent warning his dear child not to hang out with the wrong crowd, the ones who take drugs, who skip school, who ruin their lives and others. And these people that Paul is mentioning are the same kinds of people that he mentioned earlier in verse 2. These, I think, are professing believers. Professing believers who maybe have some misunderstandings of doctrines, but they've become complacent. They've become presumptuous. They're professing believers who have stopped 
before the finish line. They may look like they're pursuing the prize. They're in the same race as you. But if we follow them, they'll lead you into great danger. These are the runners that get disqualified. In fact, they were never meant to be part of the race to begin with. But it might not be immediately obvious who they are. They say they believe in Christ, but in their living, they reveal themselves to be enemies of the cross of Christ. We become like those who are around us, who we follow, who we look up to. And when it comes to spiritual things, it's even more dangerous than just ruining our careers, our future ambitions. It can ruin us eternally. Look at verse 19. Paul says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. The first thing Paul mentions is about their destiny. The only prize they're going to receive is destruction. It's hell. And this is a real warning message for us. It's, it's not nice to talk about. It's not something we like to think about. But there have been many Christians who, on the outside, seem to be running well. But for one reason or another, they fell. They failed spectacularly, like the runner who celebrates too early. They may outwardly do all the Christian things, but inwardly they live for the pleasures of this world, for food, for sex, for pleasure. And they glory in their sin. They change God's law, God's requirements to what pleases themselves. And they even use Christian language to justify what they are doing. Many call themselves Christians, but they're, they're not true citizens of heaven. We'll see this in our next point. They have a fake passport, and they will be rejected at immigration by Jesus Christ. And it shows, because their mind is set on earthly things. That's as far as they can see. These are the Christians who say there's no point running all the way to the end. There's no point being so strict about obeying God's commandments, because you've already arrived. You've already attained everything that you can get. You can enjoy life here and now. This is as good as it gets. You've already obtained Christ and the resurrection. There's no need to work out your salvation. There's no need to press on towards the goal. Friends, do not believe these lies of the devil. Watch out. Don't stop before the finish line. And don't follow those who are heading in that direction. And so we need to be careful of who we follow, of the media we consume, how we spend our free time. If we're not actively seeking out godly examples, good examples, good patterns to follow, we will be influenced by the unchristian ones we expose ourselves to. Now come with me to our last heading, promised perfection, promised perfection. God has promised perfection for Christians in the future. And that is what Paul has been telling us all along. That's what he's been saying that his running for, his greatest desire in life. And so, where are you going? There's only two destinies, hell or heaven. Paul begins verse 20 by saying, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're all citizens of some country. Maybe most of us are Australian citizens, or we may be from other places. But if we are Christians, then we are naturalized citizens of heaven. That's where our true home is. That's where our heart longs to be. And that was Paul's focus all of his life. 
And that's the prize. That's the goal of the Christian. We run for that purpose to arrive at our destination, at our home, heaven. It's sometimes said that some Christians are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I wonder if you've heard that before. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Paul's pattern shows us. The more heavenly minded we are, the more we will be continually doing good according to God's will in this life. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Is your mind set on heavenly things? Is your primary identity, your primary citizenship that you belong to heaven? This world is not our home. We're just tourists passing through, waiting for this short trip to, to end. Now, who are we waiting for? You know, lots of people, they want to come to Australia. They want to live in Australia. They want to be residents, even citizens of Australia. And why? Because they see Australia as a nice place to live, to work, to settle down, to raise a family. They like the healthcare, the security, even the people. But for a lot of them, and I know this from experience, they might know absolutely no one in Australia. They know no one in Australia, but nonetheless, they want to make Australia their home. Is it like that for the Christian? That the main reason we want to go to heaven is because it's a nice place, regardless of whether we know anyone who is there. Paul says that in verse 20, while on earth, we are eagerly awaiting a savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, it's not like that for the Christian. The Christian longs for heaven because that's where our Savior Jesus Christ is. That's where our Heavenly Father is. And that's where all our brothers and sisters in Christ will be. Yes, heaven will be a nice place. It will be nicer than anything we can imagine. But ultimately, it will be glorious because the triune God will be there and we will dwell with Him there forever. When the Christian finishes his race, that is, at his death, Jesus Christ is at the finish line, waiting to meet us, to give us our prize, to take us with him. Remember Paul in chapter 1, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's waiting to bring all his people to himself. This is the domain, this is the home of Jesus Christ. He was on earth for a time, but he died. He was raised from the dead, and now he's ascended into heaven. And because of his work of redemption, all those believing in him will follow him. This is the Christian hope and the Christian goal, isn't it? To be with Christ, whom we love, though we have not seen him yet. Are you eagerly awaiting heaven? And more importantly, are you eagerly awaiting Jesus Christ, who is in heaven? Now, finally, what will you become? Verse 21 tells us that Jesus Christ, by his power, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the promised perfection that we will finally attain. This is the promise of the resurrection that Paul so eagerly desired and that he was pursuing all his life. We live in a fallen world. We have broken bodies. We suffer from the effects of sin, the effects of the fall. We have physical disease, sickness, weakness, mental disease. Our mind doesn't function as it should. 
We suffer from anxiety, depression, mental illnesses. But spiritually as well, we are sinners, redeemed sinners, but we still sin. Our love for God and our love for Christ is not as it should be. Our faith is so weak. Our knowledge of Christ is so small. Our knowledge of God's grace to us is so small. Our knowledge of the Holy Spirit's work in us is so small. But this will all change. This will all change in an instant when Christ transforms our bodies and souls to be like his, to be who we were created to be. This is a full conformity to Christ, the promised perfection. We'll have a body that cannot decay, that cannot sin. Our thinking, our desires will be entirely in line with Christ's. This is the promised perfection that awaits all Christians. And so this morning, let me leave you with two points to ponder. Firstly, what is one thing that tempts you to stop before the finish line? What is one thing that tempts you to stop before the finish line? Is it the pleasures of this life? Is it having too low a view of heaven? Is it unbelief in God's promises? Is it the lack of good examples in your life? Are you following the wrong people? Secondly, what is one thing you can do this week to keep moving forward in this race? What is one thing you can do this week to keep moving forward in this race? Is it something as simple as just restarting regular Bible reading and prayer? Is it picking up a good Christian biography to read? Is there something behind you that you need to forget? And so Paul finishes our passage today in chapter 4, verse 1, with a passionate and affectionate exhortation to the Philippian brothers and sisters. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, with you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Church, stand firm in the Lord by pursuing the prize, by following Paul's pattern and others, and by holding on to that promised perfection that God will give us at the end. Don't stop before the finish line. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious truths that are contained in it, that it teaches us how we should run this race, how we should live. We thank you for the warnings that it contains. We pray that you'll bless this word to us, that we will have a greater desire to be with Christ, to be in heaven, and that we'll know how we should follow the right examples, how we should not follow the wrong examples, and how we should look forward to the promised perfection that is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.